Hey guys, and welcome back to the Ducks and Dogs podcast. My name is Mike here again with my co-host Matt. How you doing, Matt? Two and four is fun. <laughs> Two and four is fun. Good four is fun. <laughs> and today we're welcoming in a new member to the duck community, Antoine Staley. Antoine has covered many a teams, and now his next stop is with the Ducks. Antoine, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you're writing for the Registered Guard and with Athlon Sports, you know. Uh, just give us a little bit of your backstory so, you know, Duck duck Twitter and the Duck community can understand a little more who you are. Uh, Well, uh, I worked as a journalist for a while. I've covered a lot of different sports, uh, football, basketball, NFL, college football, covered the Miami Hurricanes for a little bit, Florida State, uh, pro football, the Dolphins and Carolina Panthers, uh, hockey. I've done that, too, with Florida Panthers. Uh, baseball with Boston Red Sox a little bit too. Also, this New England Patriots stuff too. When I lived in Bo- um, Boston too, as well, and also Boston Bruins. So yeah, I've been around the block for a little bit too, and I'm still in my 30s. So yeah, it's crazy how long I've been kind of doing. Impressive, it. man. It's impressive. Yeah. That's nice. And you're just coming. Your most recent stop being covering Florida State, correct? Yes. So you got to experience uh, an obvious, you know, crossing of paths here would be Willie Taggart. Uh, I wasn't there when Willie was there. Oh, I was there. there. Yeah, I was there a year. So when I came, when Mike Norvell took over, that's pretty oh, much okay, my gotcha. whole day. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I was, Willie Taggart was a little bit before me. I was covering the Carolina Panthers before that. Nice. Carolina Panthers are, so, they're pretty good this year, aren't they? Uh yeah, they were. They were three and zero, and now they're three and three. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what made what made you you know what opportunity came up that made you really want to come over and cover the Oregon Ducks? Uh, I think it was just really uh, the people uh, just working. You know, it was I had an opportunity come about and talk to some people at the Register Guard, and you know, I liked the people that I was going to work with, so I thought it'd be a possible good fit. And uh, have you ever have you ever caught an Oregon game in person or anything like that before? I had not until uh, last Friday. Uh, yeah, I hadn't even been to the state of Oregon prior to moving here. I've been all 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 everywhere around it. I've been to Washington. I've been to Nevada, or I've been to California. Obviously, I used to live in LA, so yeah, okay. I used to, I've been there too as well. So yeah, I just never been to Oregon or caught a game in person. Yeah. I, obviously, I've seen them on TV so plenty of times. Yeah. Uh, where in LA were you from? I used to live in Whittier. I lived in Venice okay. for uh, about a year. Cool. So that was an interesting first game for you to go to. Uh, <laughs> we had some struggles offensively. Obviously, there's a lot of guys on the injury report for Oregon. And it was a close game against Cal. All in all, a good game if you're a neutral third party. But we did see <laughs> things that have been, you know, the hot topic on Twitter over the past few days where the fan base was booing the starting quarterback is what it seems like. A lot of people are saying, oh, no, they were booing the coach. But it really seemed to be directed at Anthony Brown Anytime a negative play was made by him. That's when you really heard the booing. And when he struggled most in the third quarter is when it got the loudest. Uh, what are your thoughts on on that, the whole booing situation, booing the starting quarterback of your own team? Uh, I mean, in college, it's a little tricky because, you know, you got guys that are usually typically – around 19 20 years old i guess in brown's case he's a six-year senior so it's kind of it's different for him i mean he's a little bit older i'm not saying it's right but you know i think 
people are just really frustrated with, you know, the offense and the inconsistencies of it. And, you know, for Brown, like I saw him in Boston College, I mean, that's kind of the quarterback that he was there. I mean, you get some good, you get some bad, you get some things in between there. I think people want to see more of what they saw in the fourth quarter last week as as opposed to uh, what they saw kind of in the earlier parts of the game. I just think, you know, it's it's fans. They, they, they pay money to go see a product. They're not happy. They're going to – you know, voice their opinion. And I don't necessarily like it in terms of college sports, but again, people pay, pay money to see a certain product and have certain expectations. So as long as they're not throwing things or anything like that, I don't necessarily have that big of a deal with it. And Matt, what was your thoughts on it? I know a lot of people have commented on how it might affect recruiting, but uh, what do you think? I can't see, see it being a big issue, honestly, especially with the brand organs built. Um, I mean, they just want to win. The fans want to win. I think it speaks for the winning culture that Oregon feels like it's established right now. And I mean, booing something that isn't up to par. Well, I agree with uh, Antoine. Like, I don't think it's good. I also don't think that they're really like, you know, out of their boundaries doing that. Like, they're not happy with what's on the field. Like, they're going to express that. It's not like the Ole Miss-Tennessee game where they're chucking stuff at the head coach. It's not out of control like that. So, yeah, it's going to happen. It's sports. <laughs> yeah, it's like the comment that I've seen a few people make in the offseason, obviously more the national guys, like uh, Peyton, and then we're talking about Oregon mm-hmm. has really established an SEC culture in the Pac-12. And their yeah. their fan base has treated their team more like an SEC team in comparison to the Pac-12 teams. You know, fans not showing up to Stanford's games, even when Stanford's playing really well, or not showing up to UCLA's games and they're playing great. It seems that, like, Oregon and USC are kind of an anomaly when it comes to the rest of the conference. Like the minute Washington started struggling, their attendance dropped massively. And mm-hmm. I know it was a quote unquote, I guess, boycott, but obviously that didn't do much. Obviously the administration see athletics a little different. And, yeah. uh, you know, just from all those stops you've had Antoine, when you've covered collegiate sports or professional sports, what do you think is the difference when it comes to, so let's just say your most recent stop, the ACC versus the Pac-12 in terms of the the culture and the mentality around football? Uh, it's definitely that football is like, it's like God in the South. So it's kind of like, it's different than what it is up here. I'm not saying it's a bad or a good different. I'm just saying it's, it's different. I mean, especially in Florida, where mm-hmm. Florida, Texas, California are really big you know, high school and college football states too as well, but in particular really Florida and Texas. So, yeah, I think uh, just the culture, and it's 24-7, it's 365. I mean, Florida State has some really good basketball teams. Linda Hamilton's built a bit program there, but people yearn and have a desire for football to be good again. Same thing with Miami uh, when I covered them too, and still it's the case now. People, I mean, it's been – Miami's had some – you know, good sporadic years in basketball or baseball, but people want those glory years to be back in football. Uh, it's just a crazy, crazy state. I mean, state for football and or universities here is, I mean, I think it's, I think it is um, really passionate. It's just the passion is a little bit different. I don't, I don't think well, we'll see how it is. Like I'm still new here, but I don't think it's as crazy. Uh, and I think that is a good thing compared to some of those other schools that maybe like in Florida or Texas. But yeah, I think it's passion there. I think it's uh, kind of what you said, like USC or even, I would throw, I mean, I know Washington's a little bit struggling and probably tends to, but Washington had a traditional power program. And I think I'm Oregon, it kind of went hand in hand uh, as far as programs there, as well as this Oregon has had more success the last 20 years than Washington. But 
Yeah, I just think that those programs are kind of set themselves apart compared to some of the other schools in the Pac-12 just kind of finding their way and going through it, even though Utah has had some good years too as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Arizona State's making that effort. And I think yeah. the issue with a lot of it is just that a lot of the, not the fans and not the coaches and not the players, but a lot of the administrations in the Pac-12 seemingly don't care as much about football as either they used to or other conferences do. Like Washington's admin seems perfectly fine with how things are going now. Uh, they've mm-hmm. they've seen no rush to make any changes or or make any statements regarding any issues going on, and they're more focused on their academics and and sustaining what's going on when it comes to their other athletic programs that are successful. They're they're more of a yeah, we're not great at football, but you know we got this Olympic sport, this Olympic sport, this Olympic sport, and it's just really a different a different culture around sports in general out west. Like I mean, you have Josh Rosen. Uh, is a perfect example. He played football. He was a quarterback, but he seemed to not really care that much about football. Obviously, there's other quarterbacks to come out of LA who are the exact opposite. But you know, you have that culture that there's so much other acceptable avenues of athletics and of entertainment and everything out here that I, I it really might take the shine from football as opposed to the South. You know, and in Gainesville, outside of Florida Gators football, what do you really got outside of outside of you know? And Tuscaloosa, outside of Alabama, what do you really got? There's not, there's not that options out there, except for you know you're talking about the Miamis, where there is those options, and they still see a lot more fan and passion. I'd call it more obsession than passion down south, in terms of their football fans. And uh, Miami is a perfect, really a perfect segue into the topic of all these openings in the college football head coaching realm, and in particular the ones that have tried to at least shown interest in Mario Cristobal Auburn last year showed some interest we've seen other schools like show interest uh do you think if Miami comes calling that Mario is a lock to stay at Oregon uh I I would have I I think the problem with Miami is I think he might would listen but I think they have a few problems with they first of all you know, it would kind of be a little bit of a downgrade in terms of facilities and just kind of what Miami has to offer and two would I mean, could they offer more? Oregon could give them a raise, which I, I expect to happen probably at the end of the year. Can Miami match that? I don't know. I mean, Miami's had some issues uh, money-wise too as well. And remember, they're, they're a private school. They're not a publicly funded school like Florida and Florida State where they can give coaches. And then we also don't know their salary. Manny Diaz is making about $3 million, a little bit over $3 million. Um, I think uh, Mario's making more than that right now. So... Unless they were unless to offer somewhere around five, nor anything north of five, and then make these promises that they're going to upgrade a lot of their facilities, they just got an indoor facility not too long ago. I, I don't know. I think Miami has a lot of internal issues, and I think the biggest problem with Miami uh, and beyond that is think you got you got one person to answer to in Oregon. And then it seems like they're able to kind of do their own thing and everybody's on the same page in Miami. And I just don't get the sense they necessarily care that football is, you know, king anymore. And it just, I know it really hurts a lot of their fans' soul that that's the case. They want their glory days, kind of like what they saw in the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s. But again, it's kind of touch on what you said about some of the Pac-12 schools. I just don't think they, they get the sense that they're okay being great academically, being competitive in football, but not necessarily competing for national championships anymore and i think that's just kind of where they are and you know that's been evident the last really 15 20 years there 
You know, that sounds a lot like a program you might know all too well, Matt. <laughs> yeah, um, crazy. I guess we're not the West Coast Clemson. We're the West Coast Miami, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I guess Washington would be in the same because, you know, Washington used to yeah. have, you know, in the 80s and, you know, won a title in 91. The same thing, Miami won a title in 91. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just – and in early 2000s, yeah, my, Washington was still really good. And then, But I think – I don't know necessarily enough about Washington's program, but it seems like it was a lot of just bad hires that come in there too as, as opposed to – I don't know. It seems like maybe they don't care that much about football. I don't know. Like, like, but from afar, it kind of seems like it was like a lot of just the negative and bad hires. And I like the Sarkeesian hire for a little bit. And then, of course, mm-hmm. he ended up going to uh, leaving and go to USC. But it's, and Chris Peterson was good, but yeah. they hadn't had like that stability there. That's kind of what it seems like it's lacking to me with Washington. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you look at there's a recent interview with the athletic director, Jen Cohen basically pointing the finger at the fans as kind of the problem as a toxic culture and all that. Like you saw that Mike, right? Uh, It just seems very tone deaf and it seems like an athletic director that doesn't want to fix any of the issues going on. And like you said, it does reflect in the hires. Like we all thought Jimmy Lake was a good promotion, but you know, Bob Gregory's uh, Jimmy Lake is shaping out to not be a good, you know, good head coach right now. Um, Offense is struggling because John Donovan just can't run an offense, and that hire was just terrible. So, and the defensive coordinator is getting saved by the talent you guys have on the defense, so you, which is starting to get exposed. Yeah, honestly, you guys yeah. are put in bad situations, but guys like Trent McDuffie are making plays, and like you know, mm-hmm. you know, when your when your defense is holding up and your offense is looking that bad, people are glossing over the defensive coordinator, but. I think uh, going back to what Antoine said, you know, with it being the hires, I think the bigger issue is them being stubborn on their hires and not admitting, you know, this was a bad hire. We need to move on from this guy. Uh, Their worst hires in recent memory are the guys coaching the team now. And they they have no interest in moving off of them. At least not for the season at the moment. Um, There was a hint that maybe some changes coming at the end of the season. But, I mean, if you want to compete, you got to be willing to, you know, push people off the hot seat when they're on it. You know what I mean? Like you can't wait around because right now they're just wasting a season and it's going to affect recruiting down the road. It's going (laughs) to affect who's going to even want the job (laughs) when that position is open. Like it's just creating all sorts of problems. And Jen Cohen has demonstrated that she does not care. I, it's just crazy to see that Washington isn't the only program dealing with this. And you mentioned Miami. That's kind of a surprise to me because I mean, I'm not somebody who pays a lot of attention to that corner of the country as far as football goes. Um, I mean, the Pac-12 is my thing. Obviously, we have this show with Oregon and Washington. <laughs> so it's interesting that you bring that perspective to the table, Antoine. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, yeah, they've really um, struggled, like, football. I mean, really, you know, dating back to 20 years. I mean, Butch Davis left, and they, you know, end up hiring Larry Coker to replace him. He was an assistant, and then they ended up winning the title in 01. But even after that, you kind of – the talent started to decrease a little bit and, you know, the recruiting wasn't necessarily up to par and then they've gotten cheap with hires and uh, hired assistants and guys like Mark Rick, I think started to get the ball rolling a little bit. It was unfortunate he, he retired, but they end up, you know, making a, you know, panic hire and hiring Manny Diaz away from mm-hmm. Temple who had no coaching experience whatsoever. And I think that's really been evident uh, the way the job that he has done uh, the last yeah. few years and the struggles that they had. Mm-hmm. For sure. 
Yeah, and um, I mean, wasn't Mario one of the options? I don't know if they tried to get Mario or if if Mario wasn't interested or they weren't interested. I'm not sure how that uh, exactly. They went. they were not uh they were not interested at the time when they made that hire. So they, I mean, you would think, yeah, they would have been, especially with Mario. He was a former co-coach at uh, FIU, which is also led them to in their Miami. best years, and that was just the note on that. FIU made really weird decisions in regards to that. Mario leads yeah. them to their best years in program history, and they're like, "Yeah, you're fired." Yeah, and Mar- obviously Mario being a Miami alum, so mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I have a hard time believing he probably would. I mean, I'm sure he might listen, but they're gonna have to come up with some kind of sweetened pot in order to do that. And I, like I said, I have a hard time believing it can match anything that Oregon has to offer. I think, yeah, I think if Mario were to leave, I think it'd be for another type of job. I, Maybe LSU, possibly, or something like that, but nah, not not Miami. Yeah, I've told Matt the only job I'm really worried about is if Saban retires. Otherwise, I think he's yeah. gonna stay at Oregon. And uh, it kind of shocked me that you're saying that uh, your coach only makes three and a half million. I thought it was only the Pac-12 yeah. who paid out those penny-pinching salaries like that. Like, uh, you're talking about Mario Cristobal getting a raise. Well, yeah, he's at four point five five million. He just got a raise. <laughs> the wages yeah. leveraged the Auburn job to get a raise. And he uh, might get another one too, depending on this year too. You know how that goes. So. Yeah, and it's he's really. I mean, Oregon. One of the things that I think makes Oregon what I think is a top ten job in college football is the boosters are very motivated athletically. Our, our former athletic director Pat Kilkenny is the seventy sixth richest man in the world, and then a former track runner phil knight is the 26th richest man in the world like our two biggest boosters are heavily invested into the athletic program and i think that's glossed over too much in regards to how important that's been in oregon's rise to prominence and oregon probably staying there even if usc makes the right hire it's probably going to be oregon usc battling it out for years to come or if they don't it's going to be what we've saw for the past 10 years pretty much it's oregon and then you know stanford comes in here a year washington comes in here a year utah and it's just it's you got to spend money to have good teams and not a lot of the teams out here seem to be willing to spend money. I was just shocked that you mentioned uh, Miami in that same boat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I say, it's a private school. So you're not, it's definitely different funding from the pot as opposed to mm-hmm. state schools where you're, you're able to have endless amounts of money. Uh, and I mean, yeah, Miami has big donors, but again, you're, re- you're really relying on those donors giving you a ton of money like The Rock and some of those other people too. Otherwise, yeah, it's going to be hard to compete. And I, like I said, I just don't know if the administration is... I think they're content with just being a team that make, the wins eight or nine games and, you know, doesn't compete for national championships. That seems like that's where they are right now. Yeah, it's really... I thought it was tough. Uh, one of my good friends is a Miami fan. He said he's seen the uh, the Rock interact with uh, Oregon more now that Mario Cristobal's there than he's seen him re- interact with Miami as of late. And yeah. uh, it's just, it's really crazy because I've seen a lot of Miami fans under, you know, like Oregon stuff supporting Mario Cristobal. And it's really cool to see. But you well, know, you know, you know why, yeah, yeah. He played, he played here, and they want him to be their coach, and exactly, and, yeah, it's an underlying thing, yeah. yeah it's kind of sure. like where, like when Warren Sapp and Lamar Thomas, some old Miami players, are supporting Lane Kiffin, they want Lane Kiffin to be the head coach at Miami before, <laughs> you know. So it's you know, kind of the same, similar thing. Funny to mention Lane Kiffin. There is a uh, there's a sector of fans on duck twitter you'll probably run into them eventually who uh who want mario canned for lane kiffin they they are very disappointed in mario for whatever reason i mean 
Now, a lot of it was because a lot of people expected a lot out of Anthony Brown. I was one, Matt can vouch for this, who was saying, hey, uh, your expectations for Anthony Brown shouldn't be that high. Yeah, he was okay at Boston yeah. College, but he also had a major injury the last time he played at Boston College. So as good mm -hmm. as he could have been at Boston College, it was unreasonable to expect him to be drastically better than that, if if even as on even with that because when you have those kind of injuries it's it's not easy to come back from it's only been in recent years that those weren't career ending injuries it used to be 15 20 years ago that you know your career is over if you get that injury and and you know the expectations especially after that ohio state game skyrocketed and now seeing you know the team struggling along with some of it does follow mario cristobal this clock management hasn't been great and the uh the roster you know control having he shows a lot of preference to the older players. You had Drew Mathis, who was scheduled to start. Then the next game, we see Flo play, and it's like, why was Drew Mathis scheduled to start? There, there's no, there's no reason for that. Looking at talent wise and how they've produced when they have been on the field, or some people are arguing with the Anthony Brown to Ty Thompson, or even with the wide receivers we have, the Devin Williams. Devin Williams wasn't getting a lot of playing time until this past week. And it's like, you know, Devin Williams looks like the best player. And I think a lot of people are just frustrated that we've seen all this recruiting success and and not seen it translate to guys on the field yet. Devin Williams yeah. was the crazy one to me. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's just the product of like today's culture, especially when you get all the recruiting websites and you see these guys are five star and four star and you wonder, yeah, kind of like, yeah, why are these guys not putting together? And then they typically blame coaches. I mean, some a lot of times, I mean, you recruit guys, they just don't work out necessarily the way they um, you expect to when you bring them into the program. Uh, a lot of the NFL, um, for instance, is made up of guys that are four, maybe three stars, maybe at least sometimes two stars. I mean, a lot of not all these big time players are five star athletes. Some are, but. I think anytime you go down the list of players that are being drafted in the NFL, a lot of these guys were like diamonds in the rough. Uh, uh, basically, uh, some of a lot of the NFL stars that just that just happens. But you know, when you having all these assets to recruiting, people think, oh well, yeah, five star. We have all these amount of five or four stars. It's going to automatically translate to success, but that's not always the case. Even I mean, Alabama is kind of you know an outlier with everything, but yeah, even with some of the bigger programs, um, you know. Miami again, talk about them and Florida State for that matter. They recruited a lot of four and five star athletes, but that doesn't necessarily translate to success too either. So yeah, you just have to hope that no matter what players you get into your program, that they can develop them and maybe they'll develop into five star athletes, even though that may not necessarily be worse the five stars coming in. Yeah. Um Oregon's best years were probably when they weren't recruiting as great because Chip Kelly obviously was really good to developing talent and scouting talent. But I think uh, to play devil's advocate here for a moment, what people are seeing is, you know, when you look at the stars and the numbers might be a little confusing looking at, you know, how many three stars and two stars are drafted. But I think a lot of them will see, you know, if you take an average, I think it was over the past 15 years, I think it's 85% of five stars get drafted and it's like 60 something percent of four stars get drafted. So they see that the recruiting the recruiting rankings have been, whether it's barely or not, the recruiting rankings are right more often than wrong. And if we're recruiting all these talented guys and very few of them are seeing the field, that that's a cause for concern when it comes to our scouting department and, and our development and where, where this program could be. But I think 
to back your statement it's like these guys are really young and they're gonna play and just because you're recruiting great talent you have good players on the team who weren't those super high level players and you're not just gonna tell them you know go away we got this five star you're not gonna play these guys can play johnny johnson can play cj Fredell can play travis die can play and you know I think 2022, this next season, is when we're really going to see the fruits of this recruiting. We're going to see a really explosive team offensively and defensively. The defense has shown flashes of it in the past year. And, you know, just once once it gets all out there and these guys start understanding college systems, they've been in college weight rooms for about two years, it'll be a completely different product. And for the select few fans who are we're already irate at Cristobal. It's, you know, it's a little, it's a little early to start talking about hiring a Lane Kiffin or it's a lot early for that, honestly, especially with the accomplishments <laughs> he's had. He's been a head coach for Oregon for a few years and he's won the Pac-12 twice, won a Rose Bowl, made another New Year's Six Bowl. And in 2019, he was probably, you know, Justin Herbert's bad throw or, or Marcus Arroyo's play calling for making the playoff. And, you know, he's done really well, and the sky's the limit from here out. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, you just have to let it play out, and I think Oregon's in a really good place, too, as well. It's just, you know, it just takes time to be able to do that, too, as well. I, you know, obviously, you know, the loss against Stanford hurts, but, you know, you end up, you know, you went out, you get to a New Year's Six Bowl game again, probably the Rose Bowl, and, you know, you just take it from there and just continue to see where the program may go. Yeah, and – uh so a lot of people have voiced their opinions in regards to this. Also, for those watching, Antoine covers Oregon. So obviously, this is going to be a more Oregon-centric podcast episode than typical. And we're going to try and get a Washington person on for the next episode. So you'll hear more of Matt's yeah. side of things. Well, there's not really much to – not much of note right now. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> but yeah, back to what I was asking you, Antoine. Uh Everyone's voiced their opinion, whether it be the guys from the 247 podcast or whether it be the guys from any Oregon podcast. Everyone's voiced their opinion. This will be the last question we ask you. Uh, do you think Oregon should make a quarterback change with what we've seen on the field? And all, although we are 5-1, and one, there has been a lot of struggles where it seems like this offense could be much more dynamic. Uh, what is what is your thoughts on the quarterback situation? Uh, I I would like to see, especially with the players that are coming back from injuries, especially defensively, and then kind of all putting together. I would like to just see uh, how all that's going to come about, especially this weekend against UCLA before I make a decision. So I'll say no for right now. But, you know, I still think uh, Brown is probably the best quarterback for him moving forward. I feel like if, you know, Ty Thompson was going to be the guy and they fed that confidence in and they'd probably be playing already. So, yeah, I think uh, Anthony Brown probably gives them the best chance to win. He was always going to be a bridge guy anyway to whoever the next guy be, whether it be Thompson or somebody else. And I think the coaches have shown that and they still show confidence in Brown. They can get a guy. You're just going to have to live with, you know, the roller coaster ride. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, up. It's going to be pretty. And sometimes this is going to be not so great, too. But I definitely think there's still a team that's going to win uh, 10, 11 games, get to the Pac 12 championship, and then we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, it really is going to depend on how other teams for or fair. But uh, obviously, my stance on this has been no secret. I did not want Anthony Brown as a transfer to begin with because of, you know, his play at Boston college and the major injury and his scheme fit with a Joe Moorhead offense. I didn't think it was a fit. It's done fairly well so far. Uh, he's got to clean up a good bit of things and he'd be a lot more improved, but uh, you know, 
I think more of it in my, obviously this is all opinion based. We don't know. We're not at practices. We're not seeing what's going on. I think a lot of it is this coaching staff, which this is why they're so good at recruiting is they're overly loyal. Like they're insanely loyal to their players and they're not going to, they don't want to bench someone, especially a guy who's waited his turn and who did all the right things. Even if it looks like, you know, this guy might be a little bit better, but you know, we're going to go with the veteran here because, you know, he's been here, he's put in the work, he's put in the time and, and I feel like, at least in my opinion, that's a huge factor when it comes to this Oregon staff. Yeah, I think uh, just real quick, I know, like you said, we, we pressed for time too. But, yeah, I think uh, just looking at them, they, they have they still have a lot of confidence in Brown too. And I just think that if they were at least considerate, I've seen coaches that, especially um, in other programs, where they, they might get some of those young guys some time, even just maybe for a series or something like that, just to kind of get their feet wet. But they're not even doing that. They're really just saying, you know, outside of that Stony Brook game anyway, I just think they're saying, Brown, it's really your show. Uh, you handle it, and they have the utmost confidence in them. And even throughout the Stanford game where, you know, that could have been a time where they just decided, yeah, you know, let's make the switch now, especially as we go deeper in the Pac-12 play. They decide to stay uh, course with Brown, and, you know, we'll see what happens, especially in a tough game against UCLA coming up. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, if, if they were going to make a change that third quarter last week, probably would have been it. Yeah, would have been it. Yeah, all the the he you know he had some errors in the decision making. He had some bad throws. If they were gonna make a change, that would have been it. I don't think they're gonna make a change. I would hope they did, but I don't think it happens. And you know, uh, it's gonna we'll we'll see what happens from here, honestly. And a lot of the fan base doesn't have an insane amount of confidence. The coaching staff has backed Anthony Brown. The players really love Anthony Brown. And from everything I've gathered from the Mighty Rookin podcast and and these clips that released today of him talking about his degrees, he seems like a great kid, and I don't hope he fails or anything. I'm just, you know, giving my football opinion on his play on the field. And, you know, obviously, you know, people are like, oh, don't talk down on college kids. Well, I don't feel bad. He's older than me. So, you know, that's, that's <laughs> my excuse there. But, Antoine, I want to thank you for coming on. Do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, you just follow me at Twitter at Antoine Staley. Uh, that's probably the best way to find my work, too. Or, you know, for, to go to the registerguard.com and, you know, search sports and yeah, you'll be able to find it. All right, y'all go follow Antoine and, uh, you know, go show him a good welcome to the Oregon fan base and to the Ducks and Dogs rivalry. You know, he could be a part of that. He might not have picked the best time to join it, but, you know, we welcome him yeah. in anyway. Best of luck on uh, Oregon Twitter. You'll need it. It's a bit of a war zone. <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't got a part of it yet, but yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. <laughs> All right, guys, we want to thank you guys for watching, and we will see you next time on episode 18 of the Ducks and Dogs podcast. Have a great